Hey, I'm Scott. And I'm Chris. And this is Doxologic, where we help you think with your Bible. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Doxologic. Scott, uh, as always, good to be together, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We get to, this is cool that we get this time together, right? We it's get to cool. talk about good subjects Indeed. and uh, and stare at each other. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> is that what you do? Uh, yes, it's uh, it's so enjoyable. Seriously, we've been at this for going on a year and a half. Uh, we're yeah. approaching forty episodes soon, and by God's grace, people apparently keep listening. We hear from time to time. And one thing I know that we hear about is people uh, just appreciating us going after some of the common um, heart issues that so many of us, probably safe to say all of us, Mm -hmm. deal with in some way. And this is getting back to what we've called the Under the Radar series. Been a little while since we did it. We've had a lot to cover and talk about. Yeah, give a little background because of that. What do we mean, Under the Radar? Under the Radar is uh, is kind of our take on um, what Jerry Bridges, uh, the the author, wrote a book called Respectable Sins. Mm. And Respectable Sins comes from this idea that Christians are far too comfortable with a lot of sins. Mm -hmm. The Bible addresses a lot of things, and yet we only major on what we would call the majors, and we let a lot slide. And we would say a lot of them are under the radar in our lives. fly under the radar. Exactly. We're not reflecting on them. We're not maybe being called to account for them. Uh, And then they just become habitual sin issues in so many Christians' lives, and we're not exempt to that uh, for sure. And so we're going to get after one that we would call uh, judgments or judgmentalism. Hmm. And so how do we think through this by introduction, and then we're going to jump in and get to all kinds of Scripture today. Well, I'm just going to confess right out of the gates that this is a really important one, and I can see this in my own heart, like already in establishing and preparing for this, the conviction over how easy this is to do and how mm. often we do it and how little I feel conviction about it until you really start to look at the passages, you really start to think about this more deeply, and you're like, thank God for the grace mm. of the gospel. Yep. I just think this is prevalent. Now, that being said... I want to start by saying there is a reality to and a necessity for judgments. Right. Society does not exist without judgments. Sure. We have them all over the place. That they are made is not the issue. Right. right? That they are made Uh, is not the issue. Judgment happens in terms of decisions, in terms of discernment, uh, but also what we would call judgmentalism is is rampant. We see what we would say are rash judgments being experienced uh, by maybe oneself or given out by oneself. Sure. Um, just everywhere we go, I think uh, our, our, our cultural, kind of the cultural moment we're in is probably, we would say, uh, has made this a like hyper reality, yep. uh, the sensitivity of what's going on. You think about just, you know, opinions people have about this, that, or the other, about cultural related things, about COVID related issues, about political issues, or there's some weaving in of all of the above there. You're in a conversation, someone someone makes a kind of opinionated mm-hmm. statement about something being, you know, totally either right or mm-hmm. totally wrong. You find out that you're not in lockstep with that other person mm-hmm. and the judgment at least at the heart level. It may mm-hmm. not come out in you know lobbing the verbal grenades back and forth. Sure. Sometimes it does. But it's like, how is that idiot so blind mm-hmm. to what's going on? Mm-hmm. Don't they know the government and this and that, right? right? Like, that's the judgment. And the, and the other person, though, can also say, how that person is so insensitive. That person is so strongly opinionated and... 
and the judgments go flying sure. back and forth. Yeah, and the first person does all that while smiling. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it's in your head, and you feel there's a sense of superiority yeah. that can come over. And we're going to talk about some of those details. So I want to say judgments. Let's make a distinction here. Yeah. Judgments versus judgmentalism. Okay. Because of course the big idea in in like a, the kind of Christian context is don't judge me, don't judge me. Matthew seven. Right. Jesus says, "Judge not, lest right. you be judged." Which I, is ironically a judgment. <laughs> Saying don't judge me is a judgment. You're saying you can't do that. Right. Like, what, what, what's up with that, right? Yep. So just this idea of, it, it doesn't mean, does, does Matthew 7 mean we can't judge at all? No, we're going to say you can judge. We're going to say, mm. as Christians, you ought to judge, that there has to be that built in. In fact, I would go to a couple of places just as a foundation before we get into the difference between, you know, uh, rash judgments versus what we'll say is righteous judgments. And let me just give a little, like, plug to, yep. there's a, a series of little pamphlets um, by Lou Priolo. And this one on judgments has been really, really helpful. And it's like, the thing that I love about these, especially for people who are like, I don't have time to read all this stuff. This will hit you straight up in the face. <laughs> like in within 30 a page, pages or less. Right. You've got all yeah. you need yep. to wrestle through this issue for a very long time in 30 pages or yeah, less. And he makes some good distinctions and we'll use a bit of that yeah. today as we kind of work through this. But um, and we'll link this in the show notes. You can absolutely. find a lot of this stuff on Amazon and other such places. Uh, yeah. So good. So let me just give it context, and then we're going to go to rash judgments. I'm going to start with righteous. That we are to make righteous uh, judgments is essential. First Mm. of all, the passage about judge not is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a series of judgments. Sure is. Made by Jesus, right? (laughs) This difference between kind of false religion, but more what kingdom living looks like. Matthew 5.16 tells the believer to make judgments on prophets who come to you looking like sheep, but are truly like wolves. How do you know? Judge them by their fruit. Matthew 18 is another example of like, hey, if your brother sins against you, you need to judge it as so and go and address them personally. There are 1 Corinthians 5 is an example of Christians. Okay, we're we're not to judge outsiders. God will take care of that, but we are to judge those who are inside of the church, i.e. believers. So it's, there is a legitimate righteous judgment, and we are going to say that is separate from judgmentalism, which now we want to be the focus. And judgmentalism, an example I already gave, uh, you and I, as we were talking, thought about another one that's very prevalent, what you might call uh, mommy wars. Okay, yes. Um, what yes. are mommy wars, well, Scott? Mommy's out there listening. Am I right or am I right on this? Or is Chris right, I should say. Mommy wars is a real thing, right? And it's this kind of underlying... Um, uh, uh, assessment, judgment uh, of a parent based on you know what their uh, what their parenting style is. Uh, how they do things in the home, how organized or disorganized you seem. When your kid has a meltdown in public, uh, people mm. go to all kinds of crazy conclusions and, uh, and assume that's all a nurture thing, um, that you're not doing what you should yeah. be doing. And how could, if, 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 I, if my kid were there, that would never be the way that I would handle it, right? There are whole kinds, all kinds of different judgments that are made, whether they're outspoken or just believed and assumed in the heart. This is mm. definitely one of those places that I see, I think we see a lot of judgment mentalism that just dwells right under the surface. It's okay, and it's self-inflating and very judgmentally judgy. 
Well, let's get into some some categories yes. of rash judgments. Um, we've got a lot of scripture to just turn to, and these are going to be kind of some some rapid fire ones with just brief commentary. But um, we want to be able to illustrate for you, listeners, what are we talking about when we talk about a judgmentalism that is ultimately sinful that needs to be addressed, repented of, and, and corrected. I mean, right. one would be to assume someone's motive, mm-hmm. and so I'm not sure if you're in first. Samuel 16, or just want to describe it, but First uh, uh, Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, mm-hmm. before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Key, that's key. And who gets to do that? You do. <laughs> oh, wait. No, you don't. Oh. The Lord does that. He Wha- judges. He knows perfectly better. He knows my heart better uh-huh. than I know my heart. That's a humbling mm-hmm. reality. So where is the right, therefore, to pronounce this judgment of the heart, to assume motive? Somebody uh, said something poorly worded. Somebody maybe uh, in their body language uh, did or didn't do a certain thing. I mean, just you, you imagine the way we fill in motive. Yep. Uh, I, all the way down to, and I know this is true because I I know I've wrestled with this at times, but I hear about it also, the amount of time between a text message sent and a text message replied to. Mm. How in the world did that person not get back to me for eight hours? I know he or she was on their phone for sure. They ignored me, and this is why. Right. It, you just get our tails yeah. in about this stuff. So assuming motive let, is let me give you another one on that. evil motive, not the generous, Correct. gracious exactly. motive of what's the what's the best case scenario, what's the way I can be a blessing to this person. And right this will now. kind of overlap in another category we're going to mention. Yeah. But even the idea of like, you know, Chris, I've known you for multiple years. You know, I've been able to observe you for a while. And so you think you're justified in your mind mm. because I know you so well mm. that that gives me a bill or a credence yeah. to to assess your motive. I know how Chris is. And by mm. the way, Chris, when I say that, of course, it's kind of almost dehumanizing, right? Because it's the idea that like your thoughts are exactly the same as they were seven years ago when I saw you do X, which would lead me to believe that's the motive behind when you're doing this. So it it gets really... uh, confusing in yeah. your head, and you you believe you have the ability to assess motive. And in that environment, the person who's being uh, judged, who would like to, even in a godly manner, just just push back to say, "Wait a minute, some context, some growth, whatever." Yeah. Just the want, the desire to do that to the person judging them sinfully, that just goes to prove the point that you're answering me in this way. I knew you would do that. This speaks to, again, your character, all these things. So assuming motive... and and you know in an in an ill will sort of way. What else? What second, else? Second uh, second thing we would say is uh, judgment without first dealing with your own heart. This does get us to Matthew seven. Correct. Ironically enough, yes. Uh, the passage people take out of context is is appropriately need to be used. Right. And uh, the passage is really helpful because you have this plank and speck, right? And what's interesting about this con- passage, and you're going to go there, um, is that the speck here is a splinter, is the idea. If you've heard of, had a splinter in your, in your finger, the emphasis is on little. 
and the guy who wants to come help you get the speck out of your eye, get the splinter out of your eye, has a 40-foot-long ceiling beam coming out of his. That's the comparison, <laughs> right, of the words, basically, right. to, to consider, right? right? Right. He's looking but not seeing what's literally right in front of him. And so one of the points is that usually the people who see everything wrong in your life miss their own stuff because of the log of self-righteousness in their own eyes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Judging based on suspicion, you look at First Samuel chapter eighteen. Uh, uh, you know, this gets into um, David and Jonathan's friendship and Saul. Uh, Any time that you're going to be compared to Saul, it's fair to say it's not going to be a good comparison as far as your character goes. Um, but but the way Saul judged and judged enviously, uh, David's popularity oh, yeah. in First Samuel Slain eighteen. His tens of thousands. Uh, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. Right. That that's what the uh, the women would sing out. And Saul, uh, chapter eighteen, verse eight. Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands and to me only thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. He was convinced David was ultimately out to get him, and that just was, as you read 1 Samuel, the furthest thing from the truth, David would not do that to the Lord's Lord's anointed, even though he had every opportunity uh, a couple of different times to to take Saul out. And so, judging based on uh, the suspicion of motives again you you um weave together a couple of disparate examples and build your right. case on those things and don't give the best analysis of what that could mean right. but give the, the it's always colored uh with with the Anal- this one's dangerous. Analysis of evil motives. Yeah, you're yeah. hitting it on the head. I-, I would say this is the one that, to me, really struck me when I was preparing this. It yeah. is so easy to create suspicions. And when I was reading a little bit of commentary by Spurgeon on this passage that you were noting, it's also in the um, the Judgments um, booklet. Spurgeon writes, quote, Once you begin to suspect... The causes for distrust will multiply around you, hmm. and your very suspiciousness will create the major part of them. Many a friend has been transformed into an enemy by being suspected. So you just suspect things going on. Oh, they're talking behind my back. Oh, they're probably having a conversation about this and that, and I know what's going You're just You start to assume the worst, and before you know it, you've created this boogeyman, and there's this just this tension. There's this distance that's been created. Yeah. The enemy has just got room to roam in that. It's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And again, these are uh, realities of our heart that we want to be mindful of, that God uh, wants to, I think, draw out uh, so that we would begin to have uh, righteous judgments, and that so we would um, be observing our own heart in such a manner that really the preponderance of our time should be spent considering where our heart is, and not always where everyone else's heart is. Yes. And, and the more that we are looking outward to judge the motives and to create suspicion and to build a case of why they're against us or why they're this way, generally speaking, anyone who's doing that is not doing the inner work with the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not just a it's not just a proclivity to always like look in on your own self, but it's God ex- God expose, expose this hmm. sin because these judgments, I'll tell you what they don't produce, they don't produce the joyous Christian life that God has for mm-hmm. us. When we live in these toxic, suspicious, assuming ill motive, I mean, that's how we create 
create enemies. That's how we um, uh, disavow fellowship. That's how we create lines against people, and we are not uh, graciously pursuing a, a kind of joy in the Christian life, mm-hmm. or, or in the least, it's a severe threat to to really have that that godly joy that God would have for us. Hmm. Yeah, another one is just, and this is probably really, really helpful to think about, judgment based on insufficient evidence. Mm. And um, so Isaiah 11, 3 and 4, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Um, There's something really important. and, And I think this is where it gets a little bit diluted in people's minds is they believe that in the few fragments of information that they have sufficient evidence built in their mm, minds right. that lead them to that. And I think it's, we got to be very, very careful that we, I would just say, hold, 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 hold as mm. much as you can yeah. on judgments right. until it's absolutely undeniably clear until it's clear, don't just be like, oh, you saw something, so therefore you can conclude everything is, that must be exactly how it's going on in the home. That must be exactly what's going on in their life. Um, yeah, I don't, you have something yeah. I'm sure you're going to well, say. Well, I, I wanted to get to uh, one thing before we turn a corner. Another example is judgment, judging with you as the standard. When you judge with yourself as a standard, and um, uh, Priolo, Lou Priolo brings this out in a couple of different quotes. Uh, he he does a great job bringing in Jonathan Edwards and Richard Baxter and some just wonderful historical theologians. But the issue of having yourself as the standard inevitably without a self-critical and humble perspective is that you will come out looking well. Uh, you have the the better take, the better motives, the purer yeah. uh, thoughts, whatever it is, and the other person compared to you is 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 lacking. And, and I believe this is called censoriousness. Censoriousness. Okay. Being yeah, like sen- censor. You hear the word uh, censor being, in there? Being like a censor, being censorious, and the idea of a person who is like that is rather than to be like Christ, which is to over uh, uh, to 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 pardon sin and mm-hmm. to be like Him in being charitable and patient. The censorious person wants to rake up offenses, mm-hmm. wants to compare self to others and be uh, gloriously better than. Mm-hmm. And so we want to watch out for the censorious, that's kind of a new word to me, but but you're doing this censorship where you are the righteous kind of barometer, yes. and the other people are inevitably, uh, one way or another, going to be lacking. And, and there's a sense in which that's an offense to God, not just the person. Mm. You are not the judge. You are not omniscient. You are not the standard. But we become very easily the standard. And here's one of the mentalities. It's really hard. Um, We do things we do because we think they're the best way to do them. Otherwise, why would we be doing them? I mean, generally speaking, I think that's how people operate, right? And so if we're not careful and we don't have a soft heart, we're not reminded constantly of our need for Christ and reminded constantly of the reality of the gospel, we can set ourselves up on a pedestal, judge everyone else, and then you become this person, whether you say it or not, you start to live in such a way that you are critical and you are able to find something wrong about everyone. And it's even a subtle way of keeping yourself elevated, like, oh, I'm living the Christian life because because I can compare what I'm doing to someone else and therefore feel better about myself. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Yeah. So uh, more could even be said, more illustrations given, but let's turn the corner here. How do we 
uh, fight against rash and sinful judgments. There, there's a number of ways, one of which would be this, to really get down the doctrine of sin and what we would call total depravity. The theologically big word would be hamartiology, that's uh, coming from the Greek root of the word, but get your doctrine of sin and the reality of total depravity down, that your you just went into it even, your need for Christ is so great that mm-hmm. at the, the idea of at the foot of the cross, there there are no one is superior to one another. Mm-hmm. So reminding yourself of the tremendous need you have, um, even in light of uh, people um, where we can say that that is sin, right. and we don't judge them in a way that makes us superior to them, because all the grace of God, anything we have grown, any way that we have come to live a wise life and a self-controlled life and a uh, um, you know a life that will bring glory to God, it is we we are capable of all the same things mm-hmm. anyone else is. Right. So really understanding our need for Christ and the level of our depravity is huge. And understanding the way you see things is broken. Mm. It's broken, number one, because of sin, but it's also incomplete because you're in this world, right? Yeah. We know in part and see in part. And so there, there, there is a, there's a really important humility, <laughs> humility, God help us, God help me, humility that comes when we again see just who we are uh, left in our own sin and how that sin can creep up and continue it needs to be it needs to be killed we need to continue to step on its air hose you know otherwise it <laughs> yeah, will it yeah. will raise up in our lives and it will cause us just to have such a harsh view of others and so it just it also reminds me focus on yourself first mm. and and, it, and that's what's tied into sin but the I, irony of what we're saying not in a selfish way but in a self-reflective Humble it. Focus That's on right. yourself. Focus on yourself and As your in own your, sin yes, and your own proclivities you to self-righteousness. Yes, focus on yourself. Start with yourself. Be the first one to take ownership in any of those circumstances where you start to develop this, like, you even sense, like, oh, I just like this person less, or my respect is diminishing for them, and, and you don't really have a legitimate, you think you do, go back to your own reality. Go back to the the log that's in your own eye. Mm. And I would even say that will help you not judge by appearances either. Yeah. Because we yeah. all carry ourselves a certain way. We all look a certain way. Imagine if, if you just think about if you could get outside of your head for a second and think about the way that um, that would be if someone was doing it to you, sure. you know, that you carry yourself a certain way. And so all of a sudden people just think you're this kind of person. Yeah. Oh, you're uppity. You're, you're better, holier than thou. Uh, look at the way they carry mm. themselves, the way they walk, the way they dress, the way they... Yeah. If you focus on yourself, you'll humble yourself and you won't judge by appearances, which apparently, according to Jesus, was pretty serious and something he got accused of. Yeah. Another big category, how do we grow from this? You consider 1 Corinthians 13 and Paul's definition of love, oh, right? Man, like, yeah. ask God, as you look this over, so familiar to, to, to so many of us, but to say, is this characteristic of my life, love is patient and kind, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God is my life increasingly characteristic of this definition of love that you gave me in your word? Am I treating people in this way? Is my mind as a disposition set to 
to be like this to others. And where it's not, help me to see it, uh, grieve it appropriately for the sin that it is, leave it behind. And, and we're not talking about a obliviousness that doesn't recognize evil in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't recognize these things, making righteous judgments, but it's to say, may my disposition of godly love fit God's description. Uh, tied into that, looking for evidences of God's grace in yeah. people. That, that is such a helpful thing. What if instead of immediately jumping to the judgment, we look for God's grace in people's lives? We, we recognize we're works in progress, mm. and instead of right away going for their deficiency, what about trying to go for how do we see God at work in their lives? Yeah. Um, what's true, and 1 Corinthians 4 talks about this, is like one of the reasons we don't judge before the time is because we don't necessarily know how legitimate that is, right? Sure. The, either the work or the hard attitude, mm. and ultimately, yeah. in some senses, only the Lord knows, and only He will be able to determine its validity or its fruitfulness. And so there's a sense in which, man, if we can just recognize that people are are in progress and just be gracious with one another in that sense, that will help us with judgments in general. And what we're getting at in in so many words is, and this is a concluding thought here, is is get back to the gospel, right? Get to the heart of the gospel and particularly the, the idea of at the cross, we are equally in need of God's grace, right? Where you see, uh, where you see sin uh, in your own heart, self righteousness in your own heart, recognize that, that is incompatible with um, a robust understanding of the gospel. That your need before God is the same as anyone else's, and so as you seek to grow in charitability toward others, understand that it is a gospel-driven grace driven effort to begin shedding sinful judgmentalism keep righteous judgment as the bible and you know which is god's word as god gives us to keep but recognize that it is the gospel that drives us to this hmm. yeah maybe the best way to close it is let the bible do it uh, james 2:13 what a reminder as we hmm. think about how the gospel plays out and and what do we how do we want to be judged you know James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mm. That's, oh. that's profound. And, and Jesus does that with forgiveness, right? If you don't forgive others, yeah. you won't be forgiven. Man, I, I just know this, that I, I, I've been forgiven much. Mm. And whatever I assume about someone else pales in comparison to that gap between yeah. me and my sinfulness and the holiness of God and the work of Christ on my behalf, yeah. I am so woefully ill-deserving and yet welcomed because of Christ, wow. forgiven that I just want to be merciful because I would never want judgment that rightly should fall on me to be without mercy. And so we give mercy because we're aware of the mercy we've been given. Amen. Amen. Hope that's helpful to those of you listening. would encourage you, well, this might sound ironic, would encourage you to share this with others, you know? Hey, you're judgmental. I'm sharing this with you. Uh, Maybe that's not how you share this, but if you're convicted, if you're encouraged, if you're uh, brought to the gospel, share this with somebody. Encourage you to write a review for us. That really goes a long way to get the word out, a review about the episode or podcast. It's uh, it's very encouraging to see that continue to get out. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, Pray this has been to you, um, though convicting, because it really reveals the heart that we all deal with. Pray that it's encouraging ultimately to get to the gospel and enjoy the grace of God. 
You've been listening to Doxologic, a podcast by Doxa Church in Rockland, California. To learn more, visit doxachurch.net. Oh, 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 oh